Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. So if you've been in UX for any amount of time, you know that the relationship between development and UX design and research is an important one. Sometimes it's collaborative and sometimes it's more contentious. But when UX and dev have great alignment and communication, the end result is always better. So why don't we just always have that on our teams? Well, because we're people and people don't always work together or communicate in the best way. So are there things we can do to ensure a better outcome other than getting group therapy? This week, I talked with Jaime Lopez, who's an iOS developer with 15 years of software development experience, and he's worked with designers at companies large and small. Jaime is also a podcaster. He's a co-host of the More Than Just Code podcast, where you can hear him talk about lots of iOS stuff, including experience design at times as well as other interesting geeky things that are clearly about more than just code and entertaining as well. So at the start of this episode, Jaime sent me a picture that he drew to represent the developer-designer relationship and where he sees the problems occur. Jaime describes it in our interview, but I want you to be able to picture it since we jump right into it. It's a triangle with three points being dev, design, and PM. And PM is the point on the top in his drawing. The triangle is cut in half with a line between the PM at the top of the triangle and design and dev in the lower half with the top half labeled problem and lower half labeled solution. I'll let him explain. Thanks for joining me on UX Cake today, Jaime. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. And I'm excited to talk about how developers and designers can work more collaboratively and communicate better. Good. Let me send you a file, something I drew uh, just a couple of minutes before. Cool. I love drawings from developers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a perfect way to start this conversation. (laughs) The problem is with... PDM. What's PDM? Are we going to talk about that? Well, I kind of wondered because I looked at the show notes and some of the topics you wanted to talk about. And I said, well, okay, the designer and developer relationship, but there's sort of a third party involved in there as well. And that's the real problem, right? <laughs> I feel like you just nailed right in on it, right? Just like giving your experience in here, like since this is an audio only medium, let's try to describe here. So what I like to do when people ask me, like, how do product managers designers and developers, like how do they all fit together? And I've seen varying degrees where for reasons that are unclear to me, product reports into design or design reports into product. Somewhat more rarely development will own one of the other two. I feel like there are many, many problems with this. Uh, If nothing else, having that sort of like checks and balances between the different managers would actually be ideal. So in my view, I view it as not a hierarchical thing, but as a triangle, which I've drawn here, where you have product manager, designer, and developer as like your minimum that you would need to to try to go create a product, let's say. And what I've also done is bisected this rectangle partially, you know, like if you 
Think about the dollar bill and it has the pyramid on it, a little floaty part that has the eyeball. That's where the product manager is, right? They're kind of up there. And it sort of divides everything between sort of two halves. There is the problem side of what is it we're trying to do and why? And I think that's where the product managers tend to live. It's not to say that they can't be involved in other aspects, but that's sort of their focus. The other half is the solution, the how are we going to do this? How are we going to solve this problem? That's where I feel that user experience design and developers are involved. Mm. And we sort of work together as peers on that. And here's also where I make the witty observation that we can see very clearly, and we'll have this image in the show notes for those of you driving at home, that product managers are not part of the solution. They're part of the problem. But I usually only say that to product managers I know very well. Yes, I would agree. And with the exception of any product managers who are listening to this podcast, who are clearly part of the solution because they're listening to this (laughs) podcast. And I, I purposely draw the line the way I do in that it's not exactly equal, right? Like I certainly as a developer, my personality means that I like a lot of what design does. I like to be involved there. I like a lot of the, well, are we even solving the right problem? That's sort of where I like to make my bread and butter and make my money is is solving those issues long before we even get to the technical part, right? Because I have a grasp on what the technical side is. And that's not to say that there aren't other folks who feel differently, right? Certainly there are developers who would rather be in a cave coding alone somewhere and just dealing with the technology, regardless of its tax software or space shuttle flight control systems. That's not me. So take it with a grain of salt that this is sort of my view of the world. Well, and that's what we're going to be talking about this evening as well. So specifically, how can UX and developers work more collaboratively and communicate better? And I want to get your perspective from the developer side, because it's really easy for us in UX design and research to say, oh, we don't talk the same language or what have you, but it's a two-way street. And uh, I like your triangle, how UX and dev are part of the same triangle, but there's this really interesting tension in a triangle. You've got three corners and they're all attached and they need to be attached, but they're also pushing against each other. Absolutely. I like having these be equal and and maybe I should redraw this so that the, like it sort of implies the way I've drawn it, that there is a hierarchy where product managers are at the top. But in my experience, and I've, I've seen all three of these go wrong, where if you have a product manager driven sort of organization where they rule the roost and very clearly do, what you end up with is suffering on uh, development quality and design quality because it's like, go, 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 ship, ship, ship. If you have designers ruling the roost, what you tend up with in my experience is that you never ship. It's never good enough. There's always one more iteration we can do, at least in terms of you know that sort of polish. Developers will also have the same sort of polish problem, but on things that can't be seen by any of the other two. It's like, no, 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 like I have to refactor this thing. I have to rewrite this thing. You know what? Forget Node.js. Let's go with Golang. This is the new hotness. I have to use this now, right? So we each sort of have our own problems that we can devolve into if we're sort of not checked and balanced by the other two. Exactly. Okay, so we already jumped into this conversation, but I am going to take a step back. Jaime, you and I worked together at a startup a couple of years ago. And so I know firsthand how you approach working with design, which is really collaborative. You get involved early in a project and you keep the designer in the loop all the way to the launch. So my question here is, has it always been that way for you? 
I think pretty early on, it's been that way for me because I, I sort of lucked out in a way in that my very first wee baby developer job right out of college was on a team that had a very sort of clear mission. It was three folks who were very senior developers, very well-known throughout, or maybe notorious throughout the organization is probably a better way of putting it, but they were well-loved by the execs. And I look back at my time and say, you know what, I, I sort of learned a lot of habits from them, some really good ones and probably some not so good ones too. But I think one of the ones I picked up from them was being involved in more than just the code side of it. Like, okay, what are we really trying to do here? And does this really make sense from a are we attacking this the right problem or is this even the right design solution for what we need? So I feel like that gave me sort of a, a good foundation to bring this along throughout my career. And so how did you figure out how to work with designers when you first started out developing software? I mean, I can hear that you figured out how to think about problems like maybe in a design thinking sort of way, but how did you figure out how to actually manage that relationship working with designers? I think partially by making my own mistakes and also by seeing how these other senior developers were doing it, where coming out of out of school and, and saying, oh, well, this is the design, I, I have to go implement it. Like you have to do this per spec, right? That's, that's what they teach you in school. And then struggling with it and talking to the other developers and they'll say, what why are you even doing that? That's a bad idea. Let's go talk to the designer and see if we can get them to change it because here's what's actually technically possible. And I feel like that was really eye-opening, right? Of like, okay, I don't have to just sit here and do whatever. I can actually use some critical thinking towards more than just what is in my specific technical or functional domain. Yeah, and I think that is a fantastic thing to do. I know that I've seen this happen. Have you seen it happen where developers see those issues and they don't go talk to the designer, they just change it. And why do you think that is? Why do you think those developers aren't going and sort of flagging down a designer and talking through the problem with the designer? So you're saying they see that there's an issue, but rather than telling the designer about it, they just sort of go rogue and do their own thing. So developer interpretation of what the design intent was. Yeah. Have you seen that happen? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes it ends up being for good because, you know, if you have schedule nipping at your heels, you, you might make those sorts of decisions and like, oh, or, or maybe there's a extenuating circumstance like, hey, the designer is out today and we have to do something today. That's a little bit different than I think what I believe you're getting at, which is I don't feel like talking to the designer either because I have relatively poor interpersonal skills or I'm shy or I'm just sort of grumpy as a developer, which is probably <laughs> a stereotype that's uh, got a little bit of truth to it. I don't really understand it myself because let's say like the two of us working together, right? And certainly we were in a situation where I knew of these like three individuals, right? The chief of design, chief product, chief technical officer, you know, my boss. Just because of the situation we were in, I knew that there were some days where one of these three people is not going to be right. happy with me today. And the sooner I can come to a decision on which one I think is the one that loses out of all those competing concerns and then getting ahead of it and be like, hey, just want to let you know, here's the situation. Here's sort of what I've come up with. If there's really an issue and we need to reevaluate this, great. But otherwise, I'm going to march forward to this plan. Yeah. So to your earlier point, yes, there's all sorts of reasons why a developer might need to make a decision without the designer. And then there are plenty of times when it just happens and the designer's like WTF afterwards and they're surprised. 
So maybe this isn't a fair question for you since you're not one of those developers who goes and does that, but (laughs) I'd love to get your perspective on things that designers could do to keep that from happening. I think something that could be done is, to be clear for those of you listening out there in the audience, I think all three of the roles should be doing this. It, It really should be a collaboration. And I think if you come together and start going through or brainstorming or whatever it is your team does, early concepting of what is it we're trying to do here, that will be really helpful because I've I've sort of seen both sides of the breakdown of communication between, let's say, like designer and developer, right? Because that's sort of what we're focusing on, where I've seen designs come out that I'm like, uh, this will be very technically difficult. It would be easier for me to make this string look like a 3D thing with sparkles coming off of it, rotating in space, than it would to make it look like a hyperlink on iOS. Like that was a true thing back in 2013, let's say. On the flip side, I've seen uh, designers cut off some of the variations that they had in mind because they assumed that something was technically difficult without asking development. We could have told them, no way, that's actually way easier than any other solution that you could have come up with. If you involve me early, I can give you sort of a sounding board of, okay, given the state of the world, what is or isn't possible? So you mentioned all three parts of this relationship, parts of this triangle need to be doing this. And and that means designer, dev, and product manager, which is making sure that there's constant communication beginning to end, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. I'm curious if you've seen any processes that work maybe better or worse for increasing this kind of collaboration or communication? I've definitely lived in the hyper waterfall route, having come out of a very large aerospace company where that's sort of the way you do it, right? You, you, you spend all this time doing the requirements and then you spend some time on the architecture and then maybe some design goes in there somewhere, some development and QA, like just sort of the the thing they tell you that nobody ever actually does, it, you'd be surprised. Aerospace actually does it that way. And that's tough, right? Because it, it means that it's really handoffs between people, which is like a real problematic thing, right? Of like, okay, business owner, which is like the rough equivalent of product manager, came up with all these specs, handed them off to say like a designer, designer designed against those, and then hands those off to developers. And it, like, it just flows downhill, as the uh, the lovely phrase says, right? And QA probably ends up being the worst one is the last in the chain. That's like the terrible way, the, the stereotypically bad way of doing it. A better way, and if there's any developers listening to this, they're probably shaking their fist you know, at the radio. But I think things like Scrum, where you have a regular sort of cadence of come together, come up with a little bit of stuff, work on it collaboratively, ship it at the end of, you know, some small one to four week sort of cycle works better than that. Because if nothing else, you force people to come together, decide what they're going to do, work together to do it. And then at the end of the cycle to say, okay, what's left to do? Are we done? Do we need to rethink what we're doing? And it really illuminates a lot of those problems really early on, right? Like the last thing you want to do is have a year long project and everything's looking really good. And then right there in the 11th month is like, oh no, it turns out this is not technically feasible. What do we do now? You want to find out like in the first day, if possible, or like the first half of the year, if nothing else. Yeah. And I feel like from what I hear, most places are either agile or they're 
agile like? What's the what's the mix of agile and waterfall? Water agile. Water, water fragile or scrumofall? Water fragile. Yeah. Yeah. But to that point, I mean, we know that agile is not perfect either for design and research in particular. But one problem that I've observed with getting developers involved early, like in the pre-design and early design phase, which is typically happening, you know, a few sprints before. Hopefully, design is a few sprints ahead of development. So getting those developers who are going to be working on it involved in the pre-design or early design phase can be tricky because the devs are often too busy or too focused on their current sprint work to really kind of spend time or think about different user stories that might be weeks out. So how do you balance that future work with your current sprint work? I think having a regular cadence will help because at least from what I've seen you know, throughout my career, it's certainly very true of myself personally. And I, I sort of feel like it's generally true of creative folks in general is that you have a, an ebb and flow to your energy and to your focus. And the developer role tends to be one that needs a lot of focus time, right? To keep all of these different puzzle pieces in our head. That's why we sort of stereotypically want to have headphones on, music, especially in an open environment to, to drown out the world and just focus on what's in front of me. That sort of heads down work. That's true for some pieces, but there are also the pieces where like, all right, I've gone through that piece. I've figured out how to solve the problem. Now there's just the mechanical doing of it, right? That's that's the really sort of like the downhill part that's really easy. So I think having a regular cadence of this day per week is the day where we sit around and, and work with product and design on what's coming up next, what's feasible. And having that aligned on a predictable schedule will make it a whole lot nicer than, okay, I'm trying to focus. Oh, is there a meeting at 1030? Uh, well, I just got in at nine. I can't get a full like three hours that I really need to attack this thing. So I'll just wait. Okay, let's have the meeting. Well, now it's lunch by the time we come out of that meeting. So then you get into after lunch and then, oh, there's a 2.30 meeting. Well, I really can't. Do and eventually you've just blown a day just by scheduling things like on these different sort of life cycle schedules. And I think designers are sort of similar, also being like creative, but even more so in sort of the focus on creativity versus technique uh, versus like what developers are doing. Yeah, so that's an interesting idea. And this is one where you definitely would need to get your PMs on board with this idea of, could we have a specific day in each sprint, let's say, to focus for developers and designers and PM to come together and focus on future work so we can get dev input at the same time. So maybe if there's a designer out there who's having trouble getting developers involved early, that's one suggestion they could go to the PM and say, hey, what if we ha tried this regular weekly meeting, like afternoon or something like that, or morning, half a day, where we focus on you know a couple sprints out with the devs? Yeah. I, Have you actually done that? Yes. And, and generally, there's been more true in a scrum sort of uh, setup. I'm sure it could be done in like Kanban as sort of the, the new hotness for what's after Scrum in terms of continuous flow of new things coming out of the product development sort of side of the house. It's not as structured, right? So like Scrum can be structured where, okay, the second Tuesday of a sprint is going to be the one where we sit with design and decide what does the next sprint look like. I think if you're not in an environment that is 
product development focused where let's say you're more like in the maintenance mode sort of thing or a more like operational sort of side of things, I think you might need to just force like a, a weekly cycle. It's like, all right, there's not only no meetings Friday, but there's also design and development meeting Thursday or something, you know, of that nature. I think that's what would be pretty helpful. So besides this issues that we have with design and dev not being in communication early enough or developers not including designers later in the product development, are there any other obstacles that you've seen in having a really good designer developer communication throughout the product development? Yeah, I think another one that sort of needs to be considered is the way of communicating and comfort level that the particular developer you're working with has. So there are some developers who are more like me, where we really love the uncertainty part and we love playing with the various iterations and variations. And like, let's say for me personally, I prefer where if I can be whiteboarding something together with designer, that's great. If it's okay, they've come up with something in their sketchbook and they show it to me while it's still from the cocktail napkin where they had the great idea last night at the bar. Okay. I like that. That's where I like being brought in. But that's not true for everybody, right? Like, I just want to be inclusive of other folks. There are other folks who prefer having sort of everything lined up for them, right? It's like, just set up all 10 bowling pins and I'll bowl the strike for you every time. But I need all 10 of those bowling pins there. Like, there's another kind of developer that's more like that. So I think figuring out where on that spectrum your particular developer you're working with falls will go far and beyond for helping that communication between your two functional skills. Do you have any suggestions for how to communicate better with one versus the other? I suppose um, with someone like you who likes the whiteboarding, that's probably easy for a lot of designers. But again, there are a lot of designers who, who don't necessarily go and whiteboard with their developers. They like to sit and think through things, you know, and really think it out and have a solution before they even show it to a developer. So kind of the flip side of the designer communication style as well. Yeah, I've definitely worked with both where there were some who were really open to doing things sort of on the fly, which works better for a whiteboarding environment and some who needed to go hide in a library for a day and then come back the next day with at least an initial concept and sort of an end to end concept. I think it goes both ways, right? So I'd mentioned that you need to figure out which side your developer is on, but we also need to figure out where our designer is comfortable with. I think one that I worked with in particular was sort of funny because he really liked to have the full solution in mind. And I wanted to be at the beginning of like, you know, show me your sketches, show me your sketches. And we would end up in these, I don't even know what to call them. I don't know if they were conversations or arguments. They certainly got argumentative. And then at the end, we'd say, wait a minute. Were we both arguing for the same point, just from completely different directions? Like we got to the same spot, so that's good. It validated that the idea was correct. But the way we were approaching it caused all sorts of unnecessary heartache, I think. What did you end up doing in that when you realized that? I think what I started doing was providing my own sketches and say, hey, this new feature X, here's sort of my idea. Here's three different sort of ways I thought about this how we might approach it. And here's sort of like the the easy one, the difficult one, and sort of the middle of the road one. And gave that to them, let them go off and design their own solution with that sort of prep work in mind. And that seemed to work a lot better. They say, oh, well, I'm glad you told me that this part was really hard because I was thinking of going that way, but 
I came up with another way we can get there faster. That is a really practical approach for different style of communication. There's a development process that some teams use called pairing. I know that you've done this where two developers sit side by side and work on the same, correct me if I'm wrong, but the developers sit side by side and work on the same code for a certain amount of time with the idea that it takes more time upfront because you've got two people working on the same thing, but it reduces time later spent bug fixing because it reduces the amount of bugs that are generated. Do I have that right? Yes. So you're talking about pair programming, which is definitely something I've done. It is really nice because, as you mentioned there, it looks weird of like, well, aren't I half as productive? It's like, well, not really, because an individual developer normally and in any sort of reasonably sized organization, if there's more than one dev, like somebody's got to look at that code, right? So having something like pair programming is nice because it gives sort of real time code review in the development world, a real common thing is, okay, I've done this thing as an individual, I put it up for review, and one or more of my peers will look at it, critique it, maybe in the worst possible case, tell me, whoa, this is completely the wrong solution, and then we have to redo it. So there's a lot of you know risk and waste potential there. It's not 100% eliminated by something like pair programming, but it really helps because you've got at least another pair of eyes looking and say, well, there's actually this thing we already have that kind of does this, or hey, did you think about the fact that maybe the database isn't accessible here? Or what if the user has some sort of accessibility problem? You know, how are we going to solve that? Oh, well, yeah, that's good. It's, I'm glad that didn't make it to QA, right? That, you know, that's very expensive to have a tester try it out, realize there's a bug, and then send it back to development, right? Like reducing that cycle time is sort of what pair programming is all about. Yeah, exactly. And so I have actually heard about this approach of pairing between developers and designers advocated for. And I certainly have had designers on my team who will sit with a developer for a couple hours a week when you're or a day when you're in launch mode or something like that. But do you have any experience with actually pairing with a designer for some amount of time, like half a day or something like that? Hmm, probably not for that length of time. It's probably been more half an hour to an hour here and there. More often than not, and I probably need to be better about this, it's because there's some sort of problem of like, hey, I know we agreed to this, but as I got into the details, I finally realized where these two pieces are not going to connect. Come sit at my desk, I'll show you what the problem is, and then we'll try to figure it out together. And, and we can live sort of try things out. Your designer might say, well, okay, what if we did X? All right, well, let me let me code X really fast and see, is it even feasible? And then sort of iterate through there. So that, that's worked out pretty nice to solve problems. But I think something I'd like to get better at is eliminating problems. And I think one that came up fairly recently, actually this week at work, was related to, you know, I joined a project and... There were some technical feasibility issues with what was being proposed. We came to a sort of general agreement of how we could solve it. And then I had to work with a designer to figure out, okay, we came up with the concept of how we could solve it, but let's see some of the more details of what is actually possible. And I sat down sort of virtually because I work remotely and showed them, hey, here's something I did elsewhere that's, that's kind of similar to what I think we're going to need. Here are the different variations of that. Here's what I've seen in other apps here's what I know is sort of the state of the art of what is possible versus what's very easy to do. And where do you think the solution falls? And we 
circuit came to an agreement really quick and easy, very quickly. And it was probably like half an hour or so. And that turned into something that was a whole lot easier for me to work with on the development side to sort of prototype out, you know, will this actually work? And that was really nice, right? Because it could have been, all right, designer goes off into a room, designs their own thing, developer goes off into their own room, starts building their own thing, and then realizing when they come together in another meeting, you know, a day or two later, that, oops, turns out we were designing something and developing something completely different. And so I think just taking that time up front was really helpful. I wish that was always possible because it does reduce so many problems later on. I want to talk a little bit about user research as well. I've seen developers get really great insights from observing usability studies. I know you've observed you were really interested in seeing usability studies when we worked together. But I think it's it's similar to getting developers to spend time on early designs, which is is that often they're they're too busy working on sprint deadlines. And the usability studies often aren't scheduled around the development (laughs) cycle, right? Also, uh, quite frankly, I have worked with plenty of developers who don't seem to think it's that important to go observe usability studies. Or, you know, maybe they would like to, but they always end up prioritizing something else over watching usability studies. So do you have any suggestions for research and design who would really like to get developers more involved in user research and usability. Yeah, I guess for those developers who you encountered who weren't interested, do you know why that they state any reasons why? Typically, it's not that they say they're not interested because everyone will say they're interested, but their behavior belies the fact that everything else is more important. So it's not important enough for them to spend any extra amount of time observing user research. And I have, I mean, I've developed some ways that I approach getting developers involved, more involved, but I'm curious what your suggestions for that would be. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's sort of a tactical thing where I realize this is less convenient for the user researchers because as far as I can tell, they like to sort of hammer it out in a day or two and sort of not let it spread out throughout a week. But I think if you could have split sessions where, let's say the day you would normally do it for user research is just completely not convenient because that's heads down day for the developers or something. Just getting back to what we talked about for having that sort of life cycle to a project. If it's possible, you know, splitting it up in such a way that it's not painful or dragging out the user research process, but gives them like, okay, developer can't make it on Monday, but they can make the Tuesday afternoon session. I think that would help make it more accessible, more inclusive for developers to get involved if just purely, you know, I'm too busy for other things is the reason. I think the other thing that would be probably pretty good for them uh, if they're not hesitating because of, oh, I can't make it because that's a busy day, but because, well, I don't know how much worth my time this is really, right? Like, that's not my skill set is, I think, having a really good case study, which many jobs ago, I was working on a project, a team that was really trying to come out with this, what we thought was going to be a game-changing feature for the product. And we were working night and day weekends for three months straight. As we got it there, we were stuck. You know, this is so finely crafted. This is so intuitive. Everybody will love this. Everybody will get it right away. And then to sit there and, and help proctor the first user study was very humbling, where you see in the first 30 seconds that, oh my gosh, this user doesn't get what's happening here. It's like they're confused what to do. Just just hit the big button. It's literally the biggest thing on the screen. Just just accidentally tap it and it will be fine. And I think going through that really made me realize that 
you know, something that seems really obvious to you because you've been living and breathing it for three months doesn't mean that average person off the street who has no investment in it whatsoever will get it. And I think that's what really opened my eyes towards, holy smokes, like it's really valuable for me to attend these to see where are the problems, because then I can be more effective at providing potential solutions when we realize, hey, you know what, we need to move a button here or this is too many steps or maybe not enough steps or whatever the case may be, rather than thinking, okay, I've got the best idea here. Let's go for it. And might say, "Uh, let's see what the user research says and then adjust from there. Yeah, I think that for anyone, whether it's a developer, PM, business folks, actually seeing, like you said, a case study for the first time can prove the value of observing usability. One way to do that is to have video clips. If nobody came to the sessions, do put the time in to put together video clips to show the whole team. But I like your idea of making the sessions accessible and more inclusive for the entire team, including developers who have specific schedules. And one way I've done that, because we're always videotaping our sessions. And so if you can then just run the sessions, not live, but run the sessions as a team, like over two separate days, let's say, but you make it more of a, of a team meeting or a team like working session even so that everybody is involved in coming up with ideas and identifying trends. And, you know, everybody gets involved in identifying some of the issues that they're seeing. And that can also be almost like a team building way of looking at user research. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I'll go back to that that first example I mentioned really early on in my career working with a, a very senior team as I was a fresh out of college developer perfect example that sort of gets, you know, if there's anybody out there listening, wondering, okay, what will I really get out of something like user research? Well, I was working on the data installation part of the system. So basic idea was you'd have this software that was data driven. So you needed new, you know, large packs of data, you know, we're talking like Blu-ray discs sort of amounts of data, so gigabytes of data, and it needed to be installed into the software. And it takes time. And one of the big complaints we got about that was, hey, this is taking too long. It takes too darn long to install this software. And that's how the the bug came to us. And when I looked at that, I said, well, okay, let me just really start researching. How can I make this faster? How can I squeeze, you know, a little bit more performance out of this and a little bit more performance out of that? And after spending probably a couple of weeks dedicated on that problem, put out a new version of the software. And guess what? The bug came right back saying, it's not fast enough. What? It's taking too long, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up talking with the senior devs and they said, well, it's installing a lot of files and it has to decompress and move them into different spots of the system. What if you just put like a little output of w- which file it's working on at the time? And I said, what? There's like thousands of files. It'll look like you couldn't read that. You would just see like, you know, if you've ever seen, you know, on television, the computer console that just spits out all this command line code, that's what it would look like to you, right? As a user, it, it would be complete meaningless nonsense. So I took their advice. I did it. And that was good enough, <laughs> right? There is no technical skill involved in just showing this running log of everything it's doing. The real problem there was not that it was really taking too long in terms of a use stopwatch sort of problem. It was the user is trying to watch this pot boil and this watched pot never boils. That was right, sort of the real problem. Right, it's a perception issue. Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, those sorts of insights are just invaluable. It often does come down to watching people use the product. Do you have anything else that you want to cover? One thing we didn't cover were some of the more of the mechanics of interacting with each other. Mm, Tell me more about that. Well, I think whatever your team needs in terms of collaboration or documentation and whatever that level everyone is comfortable with and effective with, that's sort of what you should do. If you're fine just having, you're all co-located and you're fine just having a big whiteboard with all of the stuff you need to do, great. If that's what meets your needs, go for it. If you're a distributed team and you need to have a document system of some sort or something like GitHub or Jira, fine, do that. If it's fine to use email or Slack, go for that. But just as long as everybody's sort of on the same page and happy with the arrangement, then I think you'll be okay. What you don't want is developer being happy with their tools and trying to get designed to use sort of developer tools like, hey, go learn Git. No, that's kind of a bridge too far for most designers, right? They don't work that way normally. And their output doesn't normally work too well in that sort of developer version control system. And likewise, having developers like have to figure out how, you know, use every little corner of Sketch or Photoshop is probably not a good thing either, right? You you need something sort of in between. Like, I don't know, a real popular thing I've seen is to use something like a Dropbox paper doc. It looks really nice. You can have comments, you have version control, you can link off to other things like here are the assets, here's the Envision mockups, here's a table of all of the text copy so the developer doesn't have to type it in. They can just copy and paste it and literally not get it incorrect. Those are like really helpful things. And I think another thing I would say that's, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to benefit from too much because by trade, I'm an iOS developer and right, wrong, or indifferent, it seems like most designers use iPhones. So I benefit nicely from designers being very familiar with my platform. But that's not always true for Android developers, who I always feel kind of sorry for, and that designers don't normally know, like, how do I create images for your platform? <laughs> you know, if I need to create an, an icon for this part of real estate on the screen, how do I do that? What do Android apps tend to look and feel like? I don't know. Hopefully you can go buy a cheap Android phone and at least try out and see what your application or your website feels like. I think those sorts of things go a long way towards building that rapport between developers and designers. Yeah, and I think there is a a rapport that's needed to talk in a candid way about the sorts of documentation that is needed for collaboration or tools, whether it's documentation or tools or what have you. How are you going to communicate these specific, your specs and that sort of thing? And that's a tricky one because people get very uh, wedded to their way of doing things. And there isn't a perfect, I haven't seen a perfect solution that that works for everyone, for every team. But I have seen teams come up with a solution that works for them. And like you pointed out, that's the important thing. But it does take flexibility and it does take intention. Right, right. And I think level of detail that you're comfortable with in terms of ambiguity is going to be the biggest area of friction between design and development. I mean, how many times has this conversation occurred between designers and developers of like, hey, this isn't showing the string correctly. Well, that's because your mock-up has things like Sally and Bob. (laughs) How was I supposed to know what it's supposed to do with a 20 character German last name? I think those sorts of things, you know, making making your your mock-ups, I mean, you either make it more realistic so you can sort of infer from the 
consuming side, the developer side of what the intention is, or you kind of have to go the redline everything sort of route, which can be painful, I'm sure. But my sort of take on it is, well, it's not a bug because it's like, where is it in the design? I don't see it there, right? And that's <laughs> that's an awful position to take, but it's a, a logically consistent one. But that's more when like the relationship has broken down, I think. Yeah. And I think some ways of avoiding that are having those sessions where the designer and developer are sitting down together before it's locked. If you can, it's hard to get some PMs and dev managers to agree to that for whatever reason. They have their processes they're wedded to, I guess, but can really save so much time in the end and you get a better product. So what's not to love? I don't know. I don't know if this is great parting wisdom, but to address that last one, I think one thing that's been pretty effective is to find a buddy on the other side to, uh, I'm going to use air quotes here, you you can't see them, um, to go rogue and sort of get it done. So you mentioned there, really, hey, well, here's this process, and by golly, here's the process we use. I've definitely been in situations where that was an inhibitor, and I have found a designer who was willing to go rogue with me, like, all right, let's Let's go do our own little thing. You know, let's work the way we want to work together and then use sort of the proof there. Like, hey, wow, like, look at this thing that they created. Yeah, we didn't follow any of that process. Here's this other thing we did and use that as a way to convince folks to sort of budge and say, okay, well, maybe we should evaluate our process and adjust it to be something that's better for the designers and developers involved. I love it. That's (laughs) going to be your quote. The pull quote on the Medium article. Awesome. Jaime, thank you so much for talking to me today. This was really fun. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, thanks for having me on the show. Definitely been a listener since uh, day one. I've uh, listened to all of them. That makes me so happy. And tell us again where we can listen to you on your podcast. So my podcast is More Than Just Code. You can go to mtjc.fm in your favorite route to listening to podcasts. Awesome. I have listened to it and I really enjoy it. Although I've told you, I tend to listen to shorter podcasts, but I know people who really enjoy those longer ones. And I'm going to turn it on two time faster mode. That'll help me get through it twice as fast, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly a lot of our listeners, because we're in the technical space and specifically in the Apple ecosystem, uh, there's a very popular podcasting app called Overcast that sort of led the charge on doing all of these fancy tricks to like speed up the audio, you know, one and a half, two X, three X speed, and also uh, smart silence to chop out, you know, if I were to pause for a couple seconds, it doesn't work for everything. Like if you're going to listen to like, you know, NPR, uh, you know, more dramatic podcasts like Serial or something, it's probably not for that. But for something where you're trying to get the information out, which our show is largely about. There's a, there's a comedy aspect to it, but there's a lot of technical pieces. We're generally not doing dramatic. And then, dun-dun-dun, something happened, right? Like, that would have been <laughs> cut out on something overcast. So, yes, I uh, the hashtag, this is not an ad, but if you're looking to consume more content like UX Cake or More Than Just Code or many, many other podcasts, I think go try to find something that does that for you, and, and you'll probably be happy. Awesome. Thank you, Jaime. It was really great talking with you. All right. Good talking to you. Well, if you can have fun with your dev partners, you're a long way towards making great products together. I think meeting each other part way was the overarching theme of this conversation, which means starting with seeing it as a partnership. It's a two-way street. 
If you're having trouble getting one of those points of the triangle to see it as an equal relationship, it could help to have a conversation and ask them, how do you view the partnership between these three points? Begin from a place of collaboration and ask them how they like to collaborate. Start with the assumption that they do want a partnership, in which case you need to figure it out together. You'll find links to Jaime's podcasts, as well as the Overcast app, which we talked about, hashtag not an ad, I have switched over to. If you enjoy UX Cake podcasts, please rate and review it in whatever podcast app you use. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our website at uxcake.co. And as always, thank you for joining me for a slice of UX Cake, and I'm looking forward to sharing more with you next time.